What came next happened so fast, no one saw how it happened. One second, Piers and Dudley were leaning right up close to the glass. The next, they had leapt back with howls of horror. Harry sat up and gasped. The glass front of the boa constrictor's tank had vanished. The great snake was uncoiling itself rapidly, slithering out onto the floor. People throughout the reptile house screamed and started running for the exits. As the snake slid swiftly past him, Harry could have sworn a low, hissing voice said, Brazil, here I come. Thanks, amigo. Chapter 2, The Vanishing Glass, in which Harry makes a friend. We pick up ten-odd years from where we left off at Number 4 Privet Drive on the morning of Dudley Dursley's 11th birthday. Grudgingly, the Dursleys bring Harry with them on a trip to the zoo, and in all fairness, it does not end well. Okay, great, let's start. Hey everybody, how's it going? It's fucking Tuesday. Yay! Oh man, did these come out on Tuesdays? It's Wednesdays and they come out on Wednesdays. Hey, let's just. Let's wait five more seconds of silence. No, 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 it's alright, alright, everybody. Hey everybody, how's it going? We're at my fucking house, I'm so glad to see you. It's Wednesday. It is Wednesday, my dude. We record on Wednesday. And it comes out on Wednesday, so it will always be Wednesday. That's great. Um, happy Wednesday, listeners. All three of you. Um, so let's do uh, start with a brief roll call like we always do. I'm Christina. I'm your host. I'm Haley. I'm not your host. I'm Grace. I'm Mary Clay. I'm Andrew. I'm Brooke. I'm Mary Payton. And Mary Payton is new. Yay! A little gentle round of applause. Tell us a little about your, about yourself. What Hogwarts house are you in? A Slytherin, actually. Oh. I did not think I was for years until I took the Pottermore test, and that's official. So yeah, it is official. So like, what of the Slytherin traits do you feel like you really get? You know, are a part of you? Hmm. I mean, probably the wit. Even though that's a strong thing to say about yourself. Wow, okay. <laughs> First day on the podcast. Also, <laughs> really super <fun>. modest. <laughs> also, modesty. That's definitely a slogan. Um, no, I mean. You look great in green. I don't know. I'm a Scorpio, and I feel like they're very similar. That is a great idea for a bonus episode to talk about how our zodiac stuff aligns with our Harry Potter stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, which of the books is your favorite? The last one. Number seven? Yeah. Oh my god, despite all the tears? Yeah. Probably because of all the tears. Oh, of all the tears. Yeah. That's really, you're so strong. I'm so dark. And a little, yeah, a little dark. A little dark. <laughs> what a fucking story. <laughs> Can I confess something to you all? Uh-oh. Please. When Pottermore was in beta, I got an access to it. And the first time that I took the quiz, I came out of Gryffindor. <gasps> but then when it came out into the regular full version, that account was deleted somehow. Then I came out of Ravenclaw. So I guess I could be a substitute Gryffindor. Yeah, when I was in high school, I always tested as a Ravenclaw. Like I went to the doctor and got tested. <laughs> I always tested as a Ravenclaw. I had a t-shirt. It's actually like um it goes like hand in hand with a lot of like intentional personality changes I made between high school and college. And now I'm a Hufflepuff and it's like important to me. Did anyone else used to be something else? I was actually given a choice at the end of my Pottermore quiz between Whoa. being a Slytherin or a Ravenclaw because I tested right on the line. Wow. wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know they did that. Is 100% my personality. They're like, this Raven's knows better than we do. <laughs> I like to say that um, as an 11-year-old, I would have been sorted Gryffindor, but the fact that I'm now a Slytherin just says a lot about the journey that I've gone on in wow. the past. So you've, you've entered the workforce in your jail now. I would now. say, no, I would say not even that, like, probably around, like, age 13 is when I entered my Slytherin wow. transformation. Wow, take you long. <laughs> mm-hmm. Incredible. Yep, yep, yep. 13 is about right for transforming into a Slytherin. Well, it, wasn't, it, wasn't even, it wasn't even that. It was just that, like, I was a, like, sad, awkward, chubby kid. <laughs> 
On the count of three, say I if you were a sad, awkward, chubby kid. One, two, three. I. I wasn't chubby, but I was sad and awkward. I was gangly and sad and awkward. Alright. Um, um, speaking of gangly awkward kids. Wait, uh, hold on. They'll start talking. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's okay. I want Haley to tell us what we're drinking first. Oh, fire whiskey, which is fireball. <laughs> and um, we've made some hot toddies, which yeah. uh, I could not recommend more if you feel a head cold coming on. Um, or if you're just snuggling up with some pals over some Harry Potter. <laughs> so today we're reading chapter two, The Vanishing Glass. And Brooke, would you like to start us off? Harry is about five times sassier than I remember him being. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love it. He's uh, The book Harry is, they just did not let Daniel <laughs> go this far, you know? Yeah, yeah he's a little shit, and I love it. <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if, like, at, how old was he then? Like, 11? 11, maybe 12. 11. Like, I don't know if they knew how to act he sassy. Hadn't, he hadn't also, been through enough. Yeah, you know, like. <laughs> Can we also admit that he's an idiot? Like, Harry. Yeah. Oh. A, a, a class A idiot. This is a guy who somehow jumped on a roof. His hair grew back overnight. And he's just like, wonder how that happened. And then yeah. he goes that to the zoo and talks to strangers. My, and he he does yeah. not grow smarter for no. the next seven months. My, my favorite thing is that he says... To Uncle Vernon, he's like, all last thing I remember is I was trying to jump over the trash cans, and I guess a gust of wind carried me up to the roof. He's a little baby. And I had, the exact, I had the exact same thought. I was like, Harry, you dumb motherfucker. I don't know why you were, I thought you were going to say, I had the exact same thing happen to me. And I was like, Mary Clay. <laughs> he is on the record, though, as being, like, deeply underfed, really skinny, and it says that he's wearing Dudley's old clothes, which are about four times bigger than he is. So so I, I could see a tent laying out. <laughs> <laughs> it just like catches him like a sail. This is, like, yes. um, this is a great segue a into... Sugar glider. A sugar glider. <laughs> this is a great segue into um, what I feel to be the most inter- important topic in this chapter, child abuse. Um, I mean, yeah. It's sad. It's, um, every time I read it, it, it's... I think when I was a kid, I was like eight, and I was like, oh, like, poor Harry, like, that's that sucks. Um, but like as an adult, I'm like I'm like deeply mortified by the way he's treated spiders, just spiders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I feel like all the great fantasy books that I read as a kid, where these epic journeys started, always, almost always starts with the protagonist living in the situation where it's like some family member, like an uncle or aunt, who's like real creepy and treats them like shit and puts them in a closet, like. Not necessarily specifically like this, but that's how they all start. Mm. And I thought that was the cool. Like I, I wanted to live in that situation when I was little. Because then you have the reason to like. Because that's you have a machine to rage against. Oh, I'm history. Yeah, I've got this dark history. I'm going to be special. And as you start to learn more about literature, you learn about the hero's journey, and you're like, I have to start in this shit pile Mm -hmm. to grow bigger. Yeah, yeah. I think um, what struck me upon rereading this is that like. Harry arrived at the Dursleys as a baby. So, like, they can't have treated him this badly his whole life. Because you have to care for, literally care for a You have to change a diaper. Yeah. Gotta get his shots. There has to be some nurturing happening. Yeah, totally. So this did strike me a little bit odd, rereading it. I think there's definitely an alternate universe Harry Potter where... At, like, age eight, he's locked in the cupboard and the house burns down and the Dursleys are dragged away to prison because they find a body in the cupboard underneath the stairs. Like, that that would just be such a horrible thing to read, but it's got to be out there. There are many fan fictions along those lines. Oh, good to know. I've also seen fan theories where, like, Hogwarts is completely imagined with Harry just under the stairs being a sad boy. Oh, I definitely... I know exactly what you're talking about. That is super dark. I think what, like, kind of strikes me about the Dursleys, like, upon rereading is, you know, like Mary Payton was saying, you know, a lot of a lot of stories, especially, like, young adult, middle grade stories kind of do start this way with, like, the neglected child who, like, has to rise above their circumstances. But the thing with the Dursleys is that we started with them. And, like, so we started, like, from Uncle Vernon's perspective. So they feel more real. And, like, as you start to understand their motivations when you find out, like, what's up with Harry, like, their behavior, like, it's not excusable, but, like, it makes sense. And, like, that makes Harry's abuse, like, all the worse. We did talk in the last episode about, um, excuse me, 
we did talk in the last episode about um, the possibility that Petunia, rather than being jealous, was fearful of the Wizarding World after she saw what it did to her sister. So an interpretation could be that, I mean, you know, that they were trying to protect Harry and they could hate him and try to protect him at the same time. Um, Kind of like combining our two main points that we've talked about so far five minutes into this. <laughs> we've done so I, much. I like, <laughs> forgot about the child abuse, I guess, because it's like hidden in like Harry's like sassiness. And I was like surprised how like surprisingly optimistic he is because like he's funny at what yeah and he's yeah and he's funny and like at one point he is like oh it's how like casually it's described harry was used to spiders because the cupboard under the stairs was full of them and that was where he slept and that's it also the narrator has a bit of that sass when it's talking about like the Dudley beach ball photos, right? Like, yes. um, oh, pink that. beach ball wearing different yeah. colored bobble hats. So, like, the narrator so and Harry so are both super yeah, sassy. Like well, I think one of the things, too, that really struck me rereading it is this idea that when I was younger and I read what is clearly horrible, horrible child abuse, like, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, it's written in such a way that as a child, it almost seems relatable but not to the degree and it's a matter of degrees that you just don't see like of course his parents are mean to him and lock him in his room now of course his room is a cupboard under the stairs and he's literally padlocked and and, you know well i I gotta cook dinner tonight yeah and if you burn the bacon they're going to beat you you know it's it's a matter of degrees that doesn't really show as much when you're a kid and i think that that's one of the big things that was hitting me rereading it as a much older person than the last time that I read Sorcerer's Stone was, geez Louise, this is absolutely ridiculous that I didn't see just how bad it was. It starts real hard with mm-hmm. the child abuse. Yeah. I feel like also part of what makes Harry and good, like characters in really good kids' books so empathetic, um, so relatable, they go through, like that line about pulling a spider off of his socks and him being used to spiders, it's why he can handle them later. Um, in the series, and he's super mm. empathetic to Truth. the scariest creatures. That's never occurred to me, but Ron has his crippling fear of spiders, and I'm sure Harry's like, dude, like, yeah. they're just <laughs> spiders, they live in socks. They're, 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 my, they're my friends. I believe you mean right. this perfectly those... well-adjusted fear of spiders. <laughs> in, in every way reasonable, <laughs> because those spiders are two and a half feet long. But those also okay with snakes, large snakes. Like, I could see what you're saying where this is an element of his characterization that prepares him well for stepping into the wizarding world with a minimal amount of shock. Mm-hmm. In his defense, the first snake he meets is very kind to him. That's true. Um, I think part of the reason that, like, this kind of strikes us differently as adults is just, like, the way that it's written is very, like, it's very British. It's very whimsical. Like, it's kind of got a Hobbit vibe Dry. to it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not, it's played for laughs almost. It's mm-hmm. like, his life was terrible. <laughs> but it's gonna get better. I think that's kind of like the genius of the way that the books evolve for their audience. Like, mm-hmm. this is for a younger kid. This is like, to not fuck up a younger kid as they're reading this. Like, what's happening? Like, we we see this and we laugh because we're no, we know it's gonna get better. But as adults, we're like, what the shit? Yeah, what the shit? And some of the some kids' books handle huge topics and huge themes that, as adults, we have a really hard time with. But kids, we can put it in this kind of matter-of-fact way, and they read it as part of a story. It's like part of the life story. Adults get, I think, fixated on it more. So this like abuse, kids are like it's part of the life story. They can move on with it and grow up with it. And as adults, we're like everyone has trauma, (laughs) which I mean. You know, it's all good and also terrible. For a note of uh, levity in this conversation, <laughs> please can we please address the fact that the snake says, Brazil, here I come, thanks, amigo? Definitely <laughs> 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 not Portuguese, which is what they speak. It's amigos, I should add. In his- no, mine just <laughs> says amigo. Okay, he's never been to Brazil. He was raised in captivity. He's been learning what he can from the inside. (laughs) He's been going to night school. Uh, As as just someone who's done a minimal amount of editing work, would you guys let an author get away with putting this many words in a snake's mouth? In 1997. Is that right? Is that the year? Something like. Maybe. 
Um, I would like to start maybe like a little bit more chronologically than normal in yeah. this chapter. In speaking to that, one thing that stuck out to me once again on this reread is we we all know at this point that uh, Miss, Mrs. Fig she's a squib. Now, if she broke her leg, wouldn't she have through flu powder or which we know she has from later on or some other mean of access the ability to contact a wizard or witch to say hey ouch can you fix this because we know that it's like a simple spell to fix a broken leg there's no plot point that i can think of that they need harry to go to the zoo so do you think this is just a a short sight on jk rowling's part or I, i just don't know why you wouldn't have it fixed instantly if you knew that was an option can you remind our listeners what a squib is, just in case they forgot? Of course. A squib is someone born into a magical family that does not possess magical abilities. Maybe it was all part of Dumbledore's bad plan. <laughs> the bad one. <laughs> that Mrs. Fig had to break her leg so that Harry could go to the zoo, where he knew that he would encounter a snake and encounter his parcel tongue abilities. And... <laughs> And awaken a new power in himself and start questioning, hmm, am I a special boy? As usual, I think you're giving Dumbledore way too much credit. (laughs) For the record, I don't actually think that's true. I just think that's fun. I just think it's fun to think wild things about, like, what did Dumbledore do? (laughs) What was he really planning? They mirror um, your wild speculations, and that's what I'm talking about, which is my favorite part. New episodes every Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that uh, squib, witch, or normal person, how does having a broken leg prevent you from sitting on a couch with an 11-year-old, which is the stated activity that they do every time he goes over, which is like sitting and looking at pictures of cats. I think think it's a combination of uh, Mrs. Fig uh, is the kind of old person who does not want to go to the hospital for anything ever. Um, She can take care of herself, goddammit. And two, just being really fucking done with the Dursleys at this point. But she has access to Skelligro, which is- Not direct access. Like Hogwarts has access to Skelligro because it's a fucking boarding school for rich wizard kids. Yeah, like, are you gonna drive, like, deep into the country to deliver a medicine that someone doesn't really well, when, need? When she doesn't need Skelligro, because remember, Pomfrey specifically says in when Lockhart removes his bones that a simple broken bone, I can fix that in a second, but now you're gonna be in for a night of pain with Skelligro. Pomfrey's also right. a specialist, though. Pomfrey's a but, specialist, but... <laughs> well, and I think that we've all seen um, through Professor Lockhart what can happen when you try to fix things you're not qualified for, so maybe there just right. wasn't anyone qualified in her area and she doesn't have the connections because she's not really that high up because she's not a witch. Well, and she is, in fact, coming back to your point, like, planted by Dumbledore, we find out later, Mm -hmm. to keep an eye on the situation. Are they not giving her medical benefits? (laughs) Probably (laughs) not. Was she, this is a real question, was she planted or was she just there and they She was planted. I think she was planted. planted. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they probably gave her, like, a stipend. Which also means she has access to Albus fucking Dumbledore. Why didn't she just flew Dumbledore and say, excuse me, you know how I'm supposed to be watching this guy? Hard to watch when I can't walk to the window. It's like none of you have old relatives. Like, they're just <laughs> like that. They are yeah. just like I didn't earlier. want to cause anyone any bother. <laughs> she can't do her job fully. And nothing nothing pisses her, off an old person more than All she has to do is look out her window job. and observe. Her job is an alarm. Her She has no responsibility besides being an alarm. Mm. I just got an awesome image of her running down the street, airplane arms going, wee woo <laughs> the first chapter is really precious to us in this like isolated way but the second chapter is where it all begins although the inciting incident doesn't happen yet but um i think that a lot of these small moments especially in the dursley's house are really special to me personally as a reader everyone loves Dudley's outburst at the number of gifts, right? 36 for last year, last year at 37! And the way that his parents completely (laughs) bow to him is just really incredible. But we find, like, that's a a movie memory, though, because Mm -hmm. apparently it's even worse because it's 36 and then he goes, all right, 37, but then because he, he has 37 gifts, he missed one. He's okay with 37, but starts to tear up. And without even actually having to throw the tantrum, Aunt Petunia immediately bumps it to 39. 
he only actually starts to cry and throw a real tantrum when he finds out that Harry is going to be potentially coming to the zoo with them. Can we also uh, talk about the foreshadowing about Harry might be small, but he's very fast? Mm. Oh yeah, good catch. He's gonna be a seeker, y'all. <laughs> oh, see, I was like, I was like, what is that foreshadowing? <laughs> I caught that as well, and I thought it was really interesting. And also, just the idea of an athletic Harry Potter, which is not something I think we got in the movies. It's a well-known thing that Daniel Radcliffe was like physically not cast correctly because he's supposed to be incredibly tall and lanky, and he is not. And so he definitely is like this beefy, like wrestler type build. <laughs> Can I jump in and, and say that, like, to the to the credit of the casting directors, they had no idea that post puberty Daniel Radcliffe would end up the height of a hobby. Absolutely, <laughs> I think physically they did an incredible job. They had they had no way of knowing Emma Watson was going to turn out so sexy. Neville is the height of post puberty. <laughs> what the fuckness? That's a glow up. Yeah. I think um, Daniel Radcliffe's mom is quite short. So they could have They could have known. (laughs) Just did a Punnett square. Yeah. I think probably trying to find child actors is really hard. I think they did a great job. We were talking about how Daniel didn't get the opportunity to be very sassy in the films, but I I think we can all agree that he eventually does. And you know that I'm thinking about book six. You know exactly the scene I was talking about, Grace. She's doing the pincer thing where he... Greatest part in all the movies. Greatest part in all the movies where he's on this Felix Felicis or however you pronounce it. LSD. You pronounce it LSD. It's LSD. (laughs) I I think you meant to say ecstasy <laughs> and um yeah he gets sassy and i think daniel is like perfect for, for that role i really liked uh knowing what we know that the dursleys know about harry the idea that petunia doesn't want to leave him alone and she so he says harry says you could just leave me here and then Aunt petunia looked as though she just swallowed a lemon and she says and come back and find the house in ruins and harry goes i won't blow up the house but that is a legitimate concern, right? Mm-hmm. She is aware that if his emotions get out of control, he really cannot be alone because there is a high likelihood that he <clears throat> telekinetically damages something. And, like, in all fairness, like, they don't want to take him to the zoo because they don't want any funny business. Funny business did ensue. Yeah, definitely. I think that wanting to keep him at home is a, a lot more understandable as an adult. It's almost... I, I, I don't want to draw any inappropriate parallels, but it's almost equivalent to having like an aggressively misbehaving child taking them into the world is a liability and like do you want to deal with that probably not leave them at home where they can ruin your shit going back to what brooke said i, I would say that the parallel draws even further in petunia's mind because they obviously would not know enough to understand that it was a curse that bounced off of harry that killed you know his parents or killed yada yada but what they would probably know is that the house that he was in did in fact blow up Wow. By all intents and purposes, what they would know is the house is destroyed, the boy is fine, the parents are dead, here he is. One thing that I thought was really cool, this says, the only thing Harry liked about his own appearance was a very thin scar on his forehead, which was shaped like a bolt of lightning. Mm -hmm. And this struck me because I was like, you know, I feel like Harry's relationship with his scar is very fraught you know, later on. Oh, yeah. And so the fact that... He starts out liking it. He starts out liking it. You know, he's like, this is pretty cool. This is something that's, like, different about me, and I like it. That's a great point. Um, Starting out with some body positivity. Yeah. So also going going off of that point in the chapter, uh, Petunia tells him that he got it in a car crash, and this just made me laugh because I remembered that in the world of a very Potter musical, what Petunia told him is that uh, his parents died in a car crash. They crashed into an alligator, and the alligator got out and uh, drew the scar on his forehead with a knife. And that's what? that's how he got the. I mean, that's what it looks like. <laughs> that's how he got the scar, and I just love that joke. <laughs> One of the things that I always felt when reading this when younger, and I still kind of get it every once in a while, is. There are times where the narrator seems to go from being more of an omniscient narrator that's a third person to kind of being Harry's inner monologue or inner thought process. And the one, the part of this that really sticks out to me in this chapter is talking about the drive there. Uh, while he drove, Uncle Vernon complained to Aunt Petunia. He liked complaints about things. People at work, Harry, the council, Harry, the bank, and Harry were just a few of his favorite subjects. And I love the 
that I could totally imagine, you know, 10 year old Harry riding in the back of the car, just having that thought process about, oh, it's not me right now. It's going to be me eventually, but it's not me right now. And he's right, because in three lines it is about him. Yep. I have a question um, before we get into the zoo part. I'm really curious to hear what you guys think about Dudley and Harry's relationship, because obviously Dudley has been raised in this position of privilege. Um, Obviously, his parents um, have really trained him in a certain way to feel pretty negatively toward Harry. But you would think that young boys would have the opportunity to, to play and to, like, grow together. So I'm just interested to hear what you guys think. So I, I will, since Mike is not here, I will stick, uh, stick up for him and say that one thing that <laughs> I you. truly actually do agree with him on is I think that Dudley is really not at fault for the way that he largely views and treats Harry because I think that growing up in that environment, it, it would be impossible for him not to have this horribly negative view. And at the very end, when he is leading to go into protection with the Order. Oh my god, at the end of the series. At the end of the series, yes. Very far in the Don't even take us there right now. I can't handle it. It's important, though, because there is a moment where it almost seems like he's realizing, I have been such a shit stain to this kid for no reason, this kid who has no one, and in reality, not only did... Where was could I have been a friend to him? But he is likely going to save the literal world. He is going to be the only thing that stops this. And I was a complete ass to him for no reason. I I'm, think wait, that, I'm weeping. I think that Dudley was just a, a true product of of nurture. He was raised in a household where where Harry the was a thing. He nurture. wasn't a person. I will tell a story on Michael's behalf. Because it is an important insight into, I think, houses with multiple boys, young kids' relationships. And it is so apropos to Harry Potter's sense of the world. And that is that Michael was telling me when he was younger, he loved to play with Legos and he would build Lego kits. His older brother would find them and intentionally smash them. And Michael, to this day, one of his favorite things is when he loses pieces from Lego kits because he says when you don't have all the pieces, it encourages you to use your imagination to make something new. Oh. It is important to remember that it is very true, the statement that young boys destroy things, young girls destroy people. Oh! Whoa! Have you been reading my childhood diaries? (laughs) I have not, but there is a lot of truth to that. It, when I, at least I can't speak as a young young girl, obviously, but as a young boy, it, it is a destructive energy that you have. So I think that the relationship between Harry and Dudley can kind of be explained in two ways. Um, and like they agree with each other. The first is that obviously uh, Vernon and Petunia just like don't, Petunia especially does not want Dudley to end up feeling the way that she felt with Lily as a sister because she always felt second best. Like, Harry is probably going to... She knows that, like, there's not really much she can do to stop this. She can try, but there isn't much she can do. So she knows that Harry's probably going to find out one day that he's special and then Dudley's just going to be normal. So she doesn't... She is trying to, like, boost Dudley up as much as she can. And Vernon is, like, right there with her because for all that they're the worst, that they, they are a very supportive couple. And secondly, Dudley is just, like, he's a dumb kid. And, like, the thing with, like, dumb kids who become bullies is that they think that they're just playing. Like, that's how they rationalize it in their minds. Like, he thinks he's just playing with Harry. Like, Harry hunting. Ha 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 Like, it's a game. How sad and upset do you think the kid was who played Dudley that, like, got, when he got cast as Dudley was to, like, read the description about, like, he... Harry thought Dudley looked much like a pig in a wig (laughs) and all this other stuff. Like, can you imagine being that kid? I don't know the actor's name. And like maybe telling his friends at school being like, yeah, I got cast in the Harry Potter movies. And they're like, oh, righto. What? (laughs) (laughs) What? What? What character are you playing, mate? And he's, and then he's like, no, just an extra. Like, Like you're cast in Harry Potter and your cast is like, the awful muggle boy. Hey, you're lucky to be cast in Harry <laughs> Potter. I think about that all the time with actors in all kinds of yeah, movies who are like so always like always cast as like the bumbling idiot. Or like the perfect Goyle. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it could be worse. To be fair, getting to play really intensive 
bit character parts is so much fun as an actor. You have to put in no work. You're not developing your character. <laughs> you literally get one line of direction. It's just like, hey, so your character is awful. And you're like, go. Like, fucking go. This in, is awesome. In that same vein, I, I've always thought that it was probably a lot more fun to play villains, right? And Dudley is, like, in that um, gray area of, like, bit character villain. Um, I think that it's probably really fun to be like, oh, I'm gonna ruin your life. <laughs> In the same vein of that, can you imagine, and people have talked about this tons, but not just can you imagine what we would do to Vernon Petunia if Dudley ended up going to Hogwarts, but the culture shock that would have happened when he got there and everyone knew Harry and everyone thought that Harry was the boy who lived and all of this fame and he was just that fucking muggleborn dude. That is a great point. That that would have been an incredible flip up right if Dudley yeah. had also gone to Hogwarts like he would have had he, do you think he would have been a Slytherin just well, because he's a douche and that's how the books are written all Slytherins are douches please let me know what you think Mary Clay is a Slytherin <laughs> I was gonna say Dudley is not he's like he's too lazy to be a Slytherin he's not ambitious you think he would have been a Hogwarts I don't know. We're lazy, but we're friendly. No, that's what I was going to, that's the question I was going to pose to the group is what house do we think he would be? Because I I don't think he would be a Slytherin. I think he would just be a muggle. I don't think that he would have had a chance to go. I think he would have ended up like Albus Dumbledore's brother and that his parents would never have let him go to the school and it just would have like popped out in terrible, terrible ways for the rest of his life until he was slowly driven insane. That's fun. Okay, so my (laughs) favorite. Also... I think, Christina, what you are underserving here is I do think he would have been a Hufflepuff, but not hey, because... Hey, fuck you. Let me finish. Because I think, first of all, he would be very different by the end of book seven than he was at the beginning of book one. But also remember, he is not conniving, he is not cunning, he is not brave, he is not smart, but he is one of all the rest. And I think he would have been better off because of being in Hufflepuff than he would have been... Then he wouldn't have been served... He would not serve that house as much as he served... By being in Hufflepuff. I completely agree. The foresight of the Sorting Hat would have known that he needed the friendship and camaraderie <laughs> of Hufflepuff House to transform into a better just person. For the, just for the listeners, Christina is living have right you, now. I'm full Hermione right now. <laughs> First of all, Hufflepuffs are loyal. Okay? He's loyal to his parents. No, he's not loyal to his parents. He's loyal to his self. He's also himself. loyal to his friend group. He's this not like true. His this friend group true. follows him around. Okay, but They're wait. They're scared of him. Wait. I would like to say that I think you are right. There's nowhere else for him to go and I think he would be a really good dude by the end of it. You know why? Because we're going to smoke him out and give him snacks. <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm not saying anything against Hufflepuff. If anything, that is a mark of, like, a badge of honor to Hufflepuff because they would turn him into a decent I'll, fucking I'll take him in. human. I'll, I mean, also, you just said you would give him snacks. I think that's enough and we. for Dudley. That, <laughs> like, that's... If, if they presented the four houses and they're like, and Hufflepuff is right next to the kitchen, Dudley... <laughs> There. And just in general, with Slytherin, he would never be invited because he's muggle-born. Wait, one more true. point to make Dudley a true Hufflepuff is, let's think about how you get into the different common rooms. Okay, you gotta remember a password. Okay, you gotta you gotta answer a riddle. How do you get into the Slytherin common room? I think it's room? a password. It's a password. Oh, password. Oh, or racist password. Or you can... Tickle a pear. I think we all know <laughs> no, what that's how you get kitchens. into the kitchens. We don't know how you get into oh, the Hufflepuffs. Yeah. I mean, God. knowing the Hufflepuffs, it would be like, can I come in? <laughs> Everyone's welcome. In my head cannon, you have to walk through the kitchens to get Actually, to the Hufflepuff common room. There is a great rid- quote-unquote riddle, I guess, like test, and it says, mm-hmm. like, if you come to a locked door, how do you get through it? And it's like, a Ravenclaw would find the key, a Slytherin would pick the lock, a uh, Gryffindor break down the door, <laughs> and then Gryffindor. a Hufflepuff would knock. I think the truth. And I love is. that. I accidentally I'm knocked so right when you said that. <laughs> yeah. It's my giant bottle of blueberry wine. Also, I'm just gonna pour it. To answer your question, Christina, I'm pretty sure that the Hufflepuff common rooms does not have a door. I think it's just a hallway yeah. you go down. Everyone's welcome. Like, it's a party all the time. Just, it's not even a door. It's it's a big, it's, do you guys remember those bead the bead curtains? Yeah. Oh, hey, hey, Hufflepuff. Yes. Hufflepuff 
here. I had that, and when I used to get angsty at my parents as a teen, I would lay under it so it dangled half an inch over my eyes and just watch it wiggle. <laughs> like I said, like I said, I'll share my weed with Dudley Dursley. <laughs> so I think that I think the issue back to sorting Dudley. I think the issue with sorting Dudley is that he each of the houses is sorted based on positive attributes, even if they can turn into bad things. All of the named things about houses are positive attributes. So, like, even Slytherin cutting ambition. Dudley doesn't have anything. And I know that people, like, to me, that kind of character, I think he's the worst character. He's <laughs> because god awful. He, he doesn't have any, he's the kind of evil that just kind of sits and lets it happen. And I know that eventually, near the end of the books, he's supposed to get, like, kind of where you can tell he's understanding a little bit. I almost want us to forget about that for the purpose of this conversation. They found a house for Umbridge and Voldemort. I feel like it's surely a place where Voldemort is better to be a villain who has conviction than it is to just be a blob that floats through the plot. I hope you know that that's going to be an Instagram quote post later. (laughs) I was just going to quote um, Hamilton, um, which is in the big plot twist when Hamilton votes for Jefferson instead of Burr. He Whoa! Says, he says, um, I've fought with Jefferson. Um, I've found him on so many fronts. But when all is said and... Wait, wait, wait. Okay, Do you want me to look it up? He wait. Said, oh, when all is said and all is done, Jefferson has beliefs. Burr has none. Ooh. And that's, what, that's literally... that's How did you know the next line on the... Soundtrack, because that's what it is. <laughs> I saw it very recently. I saw it very recently. Um, but also, I just like to go ooh after I did. Anyway, so that's kind of reminding me of that. And one last thing, because I know you want to move on, but one last thing Thank I you. want to say about Dudley is while we don't see any redeeming qualities, let us also not forget that Neville Longbottom was sorted into Gryffindor. Whoa! That, that sorting hat knows more about you than you could ever know about yourself oh. and seems to be able to see what you will be in the future. That's a really yeah. positive attribute. That, but I think that's a great point because if Neville had been put in Hufflepuff, he would never have grown. I have to pee. We like really we're like we're calm, we're cool, we're collected, we're 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 just we're really on top of it. So <laughs> So we're at the fucking zoo. The podcast is recording once more after our potty break and we're at the zoo. Um, I have this lovely image in front of me from the illustrated edition. Um, on the left page of this two-page spread is a gorilla holding a carrot. Carrot, thank you. And on the right side is Dudley Dursley holding an elaborate ice cream cone. And they are looking at each other and the similarity in their body language, at least, is undeniable. What's that Shakespeare? Hold a mirror, twer up to nature. That's what (laughs) this is. Exactly. I'm sure that's what Dudley's thinking in this moment. (laughs) So what do we, like, what do we make of Harry going on what is probably the first true outing of his life? I'm sure he's been tagged along to oil changes and grocery store trips before. It's, it's a little sad how excited he is that, like, he, he gets a sad lemon Mm -hmm. ice pop. Because the ice cream truck lady was like, and what do you want, little boy, before Petunia and, Dur- and what's his face? Vernon. Vernon could, like, usher him off. And then Abuse. And then he's excited because he gets to finish the rest of Dudley's Knickerbocker, Knickerbocker glory. glory. What the fuck is it a Knickerbocker glory? I think it's a kind of... I feel like that's not... I think it's a kind of, like, ice cream sundae. Hey, shush, shush, shush. I'm Googling it. Okay. Shush, shush, shush. I bet it has meringue. No, I think it's that. Oh, it might be the No, because he also gets a a chocolate ice cream. Yeah, but that's not chocolate. That's vanilla. Right here in the thing. The Knicker... Okay, guys, I'm reading this definition from Wikipedia. The Knickerbocker glory, first described in the 1920s, may contain ice cream, cream, fruit, meringue. Yes! (laughs) People from Commonwealth countries love meringue it goes in everything that is not toffee layers of these different sweet tastes are alternated in a tall glass and topped with different kinds of syrup nuts whipped cream and often a cherry so to me it just sounds like a fruity sundae that sounds Mm -hmm. amazing by the way 
Yeah. I'd fuck up a knicker, really knickerbocker glory. <laughs> You'd fuck a knickerbocker glory. <laughs> I, I do want to point out, it is kind of sad that reading Harry's account of the zoo, the animals have nothing to do with why he's, like, ecstatic. It's it just, the freedom. It's the freedom. It mm-hmm. shows that he is so oppressed and so just mistreated that... Everything that's exciting him is things that would happen at any other place were you a normal child. Getting some small treat, getting to go out and be, I don't know, in the sun. All this stuff, and yet that's what he's focusing on. Not like the cool, awesome animals. They're a, they're a byproduct. He could be walking around a mall and he would be equally happy. Totally. Um, I really, there's a line where, I, I'm having a hard time finding it right now, um, but there's a line where it's like, Harry walked a little bit away from the Dursleys yeah. in case Piers and Dudley got, um, fell back into their habits of punching again, okay. and I'm like this poor traumatized child. He was careful to walk a little apart from the Dursleys so that Dudley and Piers, who were starting to get bored with the animals by lunchtime, wouldn't fall back on their favorite hobby of hitting him. Wow. So he's just go. like such an adult, you know, like such a child of trauma and of surviving and i think that's his whole uh his whole mo yeah through this whole chapter is this he just takes everything in stride like an adult would he does his best to avoid conflict Mm -hmm. yeah and i think this line this line harry felt afterwards that he should have known it was all too good to last like he's just soaking up every moment of Mm -hmm. this but there's this voice in his head it's like ain't gonna last I think that carries over into his time at Hogwarts when he's like always kind of waiting for Voldemort. He's always kind return. of waiting for like for the other tr- shoe to drop, like not even just Voldemort, just like wh- it's like you know you get later on in the series, like when's the Daily Prophet gonna print something horrible about me? Like when is someone in Slytherin gonna be a shit? Mm-hmm. And then he's still got it all in perspective, and that he sees the snake, and he says. It was worse than having a cupboard as a bedroom where the only visitor was Aunt Petunia hammering on the door to wake you up. At least he got to visit the rest of the house. And if there is anything that indicates like that level of trauma more, it's it's figuring out ways it could be worse. And his worse is in captivity behind glass. Speaking of the snake, I, I have a bugaboo with this. The way, with this <laughs> a re- bugaboo? A bugaboo. Rereading this because... There is not a single thing that Harry does that should have tripped this snake up to know that he's his parcel mouth. Not a single thing. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't interact with it. All that it says is the snake suddenly opened its beady eyes. Slowly, very slowly, it raised its head until its eyes were on level with Harry's. It winked. He could hear his thoughts. Yeah. I, I Wait, think parcel, I, I've always gotten the vibe, and I don't know why or how or if it's correct in any way about the parcel tongue is a lot in your mind. Whoa. Because but, the way they do it in the books is, I mean, in the movies is over-exaggerated words where he's like saying the S is really long. And I think that's so lame. But in the books, it specifically says that he has to, that he like forms yes. uh, the hisses and things like that. But I mean, like a lot, I feel like it's still a verbal language that's mixed with. I think, I, I've never thought about this before in my life, but I think there's some merit to that theory because I'm vividly remembering, as I think probably a lot of us will when we talk about Parseltongue, um, the scene in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets where Harry is leaving his detention with Gilderoy Lockhart and he runs into Ron and Hermione and he's like, do you hear that sound? Oh, that's true. And they're like, we don't hear anything, right? You yeah. think that if you, if your best friend's having like an auditory mental breakdown, you're going to be like, there's a weird hissing, but they don't hear anything. They have no idea what the fuck he's talking That's about. True. And That's Hermione true. at least is well read enough to be like, I hear this weird sound. It's not words. Let's figure it out. Well, I think also like that's what happens with spells. I mean, you don't always have to say your spell out loud. You can think it. But until you know how to think it, <laughs> right. you say it out loud. But there's still probably that An instinctual well, bit of... Well, yeah. but, like, that's a thing with, like, underage wizards is, like, most of the magic they do is nonverbal. Like, even when... Mm. Even in, like, as far as book three, when Harry, like, freaks out on Aunt Marge and, like... Classic. He, and, like, he he's, he's not even using his wand. Like, he's just making doors burst open. Like, he doesn't give a fuck anymore because he's just acting on pure instinct. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. I think, so, like, first two things. We don't know necessarily how, like, parcel tongue manifests in an underage wizard who is, like, having bursts of magic. Mm -hmm. So this could just be, like, 
a form, a, a like rudimentary form of parcel tongue, like his first encounter with it. The snake just tunes into him and winks. It might not be getting anything specific. It doesn't seem to be reacting to anything specific at that point. And then he does switch to verbally talking to the snake. So I think it might just be that the snake is like, I'm hearing things in my head, which means that you and I understand each other. Have a connection. Yeah. And I think it's worth noting, not in Harry Potter at all, but in many, many other fantasy books, there's like auras and like pneumas and these weird like feelings you get that aren't explicit. Yeah. And then Harry never knows that he's speaking parcel tongue. Like when he's speaking it, right. he thinks he's just talking normally. So for all we know, he's standing there at the glass going. <laughs> and actually to further that point, when he tries to intentionally speak parcel tongue, it's yeah. harder for him to do so because it was it right. the, uh, the sixth one where he's trying to do it so they can get into the chamber again to get the, uh, yeah, maybe. But no, it's the second one. It's the second one yeah. where they're trying to go after Yeah, you're thinking of, I think, he, maybe yeah. Ron at the so, end. Because yeah. he's like... When Ron's like, I think I don't remember how he pissed it. <laughs> no, but like he does. <laughs> I, know, I know what you're talking about because there's a moment when they're in the bathroom trying to, and he's trying to open it and he just goes like... In book two. He goes, open! <laughs> <laughs> and then Ron's like, that wasn't that was time. <laughs> That was very I'm much like, English. Okay, I just really love the way that Jake Rowling brings these moments of humor into like the most intense moments. Well, and I think the way they describe it is if he scrunched his eyes and tilted his head, a scratch on the fountain looked kind of like a snake. I am 99% sure, we'll get to this at some point, none of us will remember this, but I am 99% sure that's the way it's said. Because I remember that in the book, in the movie, they cheated it and they just put like a little, like, no one would have noticed that there's a snake clearly like emblazoned on the the side. Harry had to like, kind of like turn his head and narrow, like, I think that looks like a snake. And it, and it worked. <laughs> I remember exactly how it goes. Um, there's a little, like, in the movie, it's like a, like, embossed. Like, it's right. very obvious. In the book, it's like a little etching. Like, it's clearly there, but you have to look really closely, and Harry's squinting and tilting his head is to make it look kind of like it's real and moving, and that's when he can do it. Huh. Ooh, he gets like into snake. the mindset of a snake. Yeah, wow. I think that he's actually but talking to a real snake. Yeah. <gasps> Maybe, I wonder if parcel tongue is one of those things that can only happen in the moment. Huh. Maybe. Like, yeah. if you wanted to practice it, you couldn't. Mm, like true love. I don't think so, because in book six, when we flash back to, I don't remember their last name, but it's like Voldemort's grandparents. Um, they yes. talk to each other in it's the gaunts. The gaunts, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, ten points to Slytherin. You're totally right, but <laughs> but I would like to point out that at all times they have a dead snake nailed to their front door. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> but um, it, it's but, funny because I know that was your um like good point noise, but it also sounded kind of like a banjo, like. <laughs> Speaking of Alabama, remember to send us things <laughs> that you love about Alabama. Hey, God damn it. Better now I can't edit that out of the first episode. <laughs> or I, just, I will kill you in real life. Or you just, just, just edit it out of the first episode and then people are very confused at this. Oh, I think, I, I'm going to keep bringing this up. Because I think it's fucking hilarious, so you're gonna hey. have to leave at least some of it in. Back to the snake. Um, snake. I have a question about how does the snake have any concept of like? I know that I've never been to Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a snake. I'm a. Snake. But I think that's the problem. That's kind of the issue with any sort of world where they talk to animals. Is animals. Like, they're supposed yeah, to have a different. What's his frame of reference? Of yeah. yeah, I actually, I actually have a no, no prize explanation for this. The snake obviously understood that he can talk to other, to certain humans, mm-hmm. which means that there must have been a previous parcel tongue that had visited. So oh, this idea, really? if he, if he's not, if he's not freaking out as much as you know mm-hmm. Harry would be, and he, he's a snake, so he's not exactly as smart as Harry, then. Obviously, he's done this before, and I'm willing to bet that one of them was like, oh, man, that sucks. You've never seen Brazil. And he was like, what's Brazil? <laughs> um, Tell me about to this. good-ish point, but to further the plot hole. <laughs> we need a sound bit for a good-ish point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to 
Further the plot hole, he reads English and knows what the sign that he cannot see on the outside of his inco- enclosure Set, yeah. says. Yeah. Well, it's easy. The parcel mouth is like, oh, you've never been to Brazil. He's like, what's Brazil? Well, it says on this sign. Mm, no. Like I said, it's a no prize. It's a, it's a, it's a write-in uh, well, explanation. I sh- Oh, wait, never mind. Sorry, that I, comes up later. I do also want to say, we said earlier in the podcast that Amigo was not Portuguese, and it is, in fact, also used in Portuguese. Oh. And actually, calling J.K. Rowling out on Portuguese stuff is a bad idea because she was an ESL teacher in Portugal for quite some time. Uh-huh. And actually, a lot of the places in Harry Potter, uh, including Dumbledore's office and Moving Stairwell, are based on a bookshop in Portugal that hmm. she used to love it. Maybe we should really? come for <laughs> Brooke, didn't you call J.K. Rowling out on you? I did. Yeah. Oh, I did. Oh, okay. Guys, I, I think I would never. <laughs> I think I was recording at that time, so we'll go back and see. Check. Way back that it, it, was, it was definitely me, because I, I, I do think it's funny when people think that people in Brazil speak Spanish, because you run into it way too oh, often. I, mean, I almost, in 12th grade AP Spanish, gave a presentation about Brazil. It was one of the things where we all had to have our presentations ready to go, so if he randomly picked you, you were ready to go, like, whatever day he picked you. And at the last minute, I was like, I don't like this presentation idea. I'm going to change it. And then he called me the next day to go. And I was so relieved because afterwards I was like, Brazil doesn't speak Spanish. (laughs) This was a bit bad. In everyone's defense, the whole fucking continent speaks Spanish. And Brazil just got hit with Portugal real hard. Because of the Pope. So Um, I had a great question. Just you fucking wait. So a thought that I had while reading this chapter, as from an editor's perspective, um, there's like a like maybe half a page where I would have highlighted much of it and been like, how is Harry feeling at this time? Is Harry reacting to speaking with a snake? Is he surprised, confused, right? Is he rejecting this experience? Harry's just like, bro, I know, man, it must be really annoying to be in this fucking box. This goes back to the earlier point in the podcast that Harry is a dumb motherfucker. (laughs) And he is just like, oh, cool, Snake's talking to me. Great. I bet you anything he went home and tried to speak to the spiders in the cupboard just in case. Oh, can you imagine how much better his life would be Uh, if he could speak to those spiders? He doesn't have any friends. I think that's why he's really willing to accept the snake situation is because, as Grace said, he doesn't have any friends. I mean, that is a really good point. But honestly, I think he just like didn't realize what was happening because for most of this conversation, it's very much one-sided. And he's like, I'm probably projecting because I'm a lonely little shit. Like, this snake isn't actually reacting like this. It's not until after the snake gets out and he thinks he hears, like, Brazil, here I come. Like, he's... <laughs> Uh, it, like and even then he's like I'm probably imagining this because again I have no friends I think he I don't I think he just has that mentality as a child of trauma that stuff just happens to him um even if it's weird even if it's crazy like it, he takes it in a very um passive way and I you know I can't really explain why he wouldn't at least react somewhat to a snake talking to him but he mentions that weird things happen to him. I don't think he's an idiot and doesn't think they're weird. He says they're strange. But I think he just is like, this is what my life is like. And I literally have no... For him to talk about them and bring them up to his family, or to, which are the only people around him, would be really out of character. It's weird how he seems very cognizant of these events that happen, this weirdness that goes on around him, whether it's the sweater or jumping on top of the building or his hair growing back, whatever the case may be. But at the same time, and he knows how his uncle and aunt react to these things and these stories, but at the same time, he doesn't think about the fact that when he's going to talk about this flying motorcycle dream that he had, that it's going to cause the same thing. Like, because if you think about it, Opportunity and Uncle Vernon, they have no idea that Harry was brought to them on a flying motorcycle. So it's not like that's what they're reacting to. It's the simple act of something as weird as that. So it is it is weird that when he's going through these real, like, obvious oddities, it doesn't seem to, like, phase him. I think another thing is that we see throughout this chapter, kind of in his personality, can be explained when... 
earlier in the chapter, he asked, when he first asked Petunia how his parents died, and she said, don't ask questions. And he said, like, rule number one with living with the life with the Dursleys was don't ask questions. And there's not such a thing in his life as, like, doing research or Googling it. You know, there's not, he doesn't, I don't think, have that compulsion to find out more because there's no way for him to find out more. I think the best thing in his life is to just take things as they come and make the least amount of fuss about it and hope they just go away. I'll move us to a more cheery side of the of the chapter. Like I said in the introductory episode, I had watched all of the movies well before, not all of them, most of them before I read any of the books. So my memory of this part is Dudley falling into the exhibit and freaking out and pressing his face against the window. And then um, Petunia is like, oh my God, my boy, my boy, and like <laughs> freaking out. And it's so funny. And then here it is when it happens and the glass vanishes, Piers and Dudley are just like, whoa, that was crazy, right? And nothing happened. And I'm like, I really enjoy that addition from the movie that he falls in and like Petunia flips out. It's so good. I do want to take this moment to say that I think the whole Dursley family is incredibly well cast. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> Petunia it's so is She's incredible. So She's perfect. perfect. It's great. I actually like the book version better, surprise, surprise, because of the way that um, the way that Dudley handles it later. I can't remember if I'm making this up, but he doesn't he say that the snake was like attacking them? It, it almost constricted him mm. and it almost Yeah, yeah he appears like, or yeah. he starts like, telling. Whoa, wasn't that crazy? It almost ate us. And, yeah. and like, it had nearly sure. bitten off his leg. Yeah. And meanwhile, Harry's like, actually talking to snakes and making things disappear, and he's not telling the story. I think that's like such a contrasting character between people who actually make things happen and people who just make up these stories and want no want people to, to think that they're the hero. I want to take this opportunity. I think I said. I think I started my last interjection with that. At this time, I would like us all to just really focus on how much of a little shit Piers is. Fucking <laughs> um, Piers. They didn't even make him into a character in the movies, and he's the one who says Harry was talking to it. I don't. You? I would. I don't think that was him, like trying to intentionally set Harry up to be. I think it was mostly a little boy being inquisitive and being like. Whoa, that was so crazy. Oh, my God. And Harry, weren't you talking to it? That was crazy. Okay, I, also, he's the one who holds people's hands behind their backs. So I know, Dudley can punch this, them in the face. In I, this moment, he and Dudley are just, it was a lot of excitement. And I think in that moment, they're just, like, excited, crazy little boys. I actually think he's teasing Harry in this point oh, where he's kind of maybe. like, he's like, Harry was talking to it, weren't you, Harry? Like, you were sitting in a reptile house chatting to a snake <laughs> meanwhile we the brave heroes almost die that's a i think that's a great read of this because as i think it probably is hard to be peers right like like dudley's number two no you're gonna <laughs> give no credit to dudley as a character whatsoever and you're gonna go all in on being like pierce is pretty complex <laughs> i didn't say he's complex i said that he's probably dancing a fine line you know what i mean the easiest way to get credit and get popular, become like popular and cool, is to make fun of other people. Oh, we all know that. Yeah. <laughs> so he's probably just jumping on that. But I noticed something else. I, I'm, I'm determined to find Daedalus Diggle as many times as possible and insert him into this. <laughs> oh, totally. And I think there's a few more, and I did find one at the end of this chapter as well. Uh, it says at one point that. <clears throat> Yet sometimes he thought, or maybe hoped, that strangers in the street seemed to know him. Very strange strangers they were, too. A tiny man in a violet hat had bowed to him once while shopping with Aunt Petunia and Dudley. You cannot change my mind. That tiny man wearing violet <laughs> is, in fact, Daedalus So we've gotten to the end of the chapter. Um, does anyone have any final thoughts? I didn't like it as much. I didn't, oh. I didn't like it as much either. That's... I'm just going to go out there, bold take. I, it was short. It almost, almost felt unnecessary to me. If you took this chapter out and just went from Harry to 10 years later and the letters arriving, I think it would have worked just fine. See, I really liked it because it was just like a little fun bit of mischief and things happening and like, hmm, what's like, what's that about? What's, what's this business of like his hair growing back and him... <laughs> talking to the snake and the vanishing glass. And that's so weird. And I think we need this chapter 
that shows just how dreadful and dreary his life is so that when he does start getting the letters, it's like he really needed this. Yeah, I actually liked it. I like it more as a multiple time reread. So like the first couple times, maybe I felt like I could maybe skip over it. But now I love it because it gives such a clear vision into who Harry is at the beginning versus who he is at the end um, and what makes him that way. She does so much foreshadowing in this in this chapter with how he looks, what he interacts with the spiders, where he lives, how he reacts to these situations, what makes him excited, what gets him upset. Yeah, I really loved it too. I think that this chapter is really perfect for a reader that is like around Harry's age, like just the humor of it. I think that that's what's really going to appeal to that reader. And so I just really, upon rereading it, understood why I loved it so much when I read it first. I think it's like a necessary downbeat. I do agree that it's not the most interesting chapter, but like, especially in the long term, when you find out that like Harry talking to snakes is not a typical thing, which he does assume in the second book, like it it sets up so much. Like, this is your first mention of Aunt Marge, even, like, when they're talking about, like, your first mention of Mrs. Fig. Like, it sets up a lot of stuff that becomes really, really important later on. And, like, it feels like a kind of a boring interlude here. But I think that if you look at it as a part of the whole, it is an important chapter. I think this chapter's main strength is characterizing Harry for us. We get a sassy... Honestly, I know people keep saying he's dumb. I think he's pretty intelligent in this chapter. He can be both. Right. Like, victim <laughs> of trauma who longs for more but doesn't expect it. And mm. I think it humanizes him. It develops his relationship with the concept of magic and that he does not believe in it. And I think that it's so important for having a moment to just get to know Harry in his day-to-day life, because prior to this, we've only seen a baby, and if we jumped right to the letters arriving, I don't think we would have a good sense of who he was in his normal day-to-day functions. I think that's a great place to end this chapter. Like we do every week, I'd like to go around the circle, and if anyone has anything that they'd like to plug, if you have anything that you've been reading, watching, listening to, definitely share it with us. Haley? New season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine's out, it looks like. Yes. <laughs> Mary Clay is... She's it's my favorite show! I really like that show. The end of the... I won't say what happens. It's like one of my top favorite shows. Okay, continue. Go, go. Perfect. I've been reading The Similars. Has anyone mm. read that? Okay, I'm still trying to figure out how I feel, so... <laughs> to be continued. I was hoping for input. <laughs> On a similar note of trying to figure out how I feel, I just started watching Seinfeld. Whoa! <laughs> because it's not a show that I would say, oh yeah, I've like watched Seinfeld, I've seen all of it or whatever, but like I've definitely seen like random episodes on TV. But today I was like, I'm gonna start it. And I'm like, not sure how I feel about it. <laughs> also, that's what I'm talking about. New episodes every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. I recently started uh, reading the Name of the Wind series. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, uh, I did actually start listening to a new podcast as well. I started listening to Mary Clay's uh, podcast. So Woo! That's what I'm talking about! Through, uh, the first two episodes, I've got quite a few ahead of me, and I listen to way too many podcasts as it is. So I will try and catch up to you eventually. Thank you. I'm on three episodes. I, I've heard. <laughs> I've been trying to eat more vegan and vegetarian meals recently. This is a literal thing that you were consuming, rather than like, what, media, <laughs> what kind of media are you consuming? You are literally I consuming this. I highly recommend the one pot chickpea shakshuka from Minimalist Baker. I've been eating it for like a week and a half now, and I just made myself a second batch because it's super tasty, and oh, I have it with pot. mini pitas. I wish I was reading or watching something new, but lately work's been a lot, so a good therapeutic one is rewatching Parks and Rec. Just oh fuck yeah, and it's almost Valentine's Day. It's just like such strong yes. writing, but also you can zone out during it. I don't know how they do it. It's just like the most beautiful comedy. So 
If you're local to Richmond, I've been taking improv classes at the Coalition Theater. So if you're around town, definitely check out some of their shows. And I've also been watching Blue Exorcist. It's an anime where they're exorcists and they go to like this training school and they talk about like the Old Testament and stuff. Um, If you are passionate about your Christian faith, it may not be appropriate for you, but I think it's one hell of a ride. If you're passionate about your Christian faith and you're listening to this podcast, that's an interesting comment. (laughs) Once again... Tell us your favorite thing about Halloween. Once again, tell us your favorite thing about Christianity. Anyway, thank you guys so much for being here. I am super excited because we all know that the next chapter is when shit really starts. Um, Let's let's fucking do it. Uh, And now's a great time for y'all to get the fuck out of my house. The Restricted Section was created and hosted by me, Christina Kahn, based on the book series by J.K. Rowling. All music by Ryan Kahn. Logo by Michael Hardison. Technical support from Sean Watson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at RestrictedSectionPod or shoot us an email at RestrictedSectionPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, feelings, complaints, conspiracy theories, or lavish praise. I just want to uh, bring everyone back to our trailer episode when Haley described how her mother read her the first chapter of this book in the car while she was driving home. <laughs> so just like imagine your like little eight year old Haley, so much curly hair. I, oh, it wasn't curly yet; it was scraggly at the time. Oh, no, I was not a cute child. <laughs> and Bridget in Springfield? Oh no, this was Alabama. Like, it's a, it's a nightmare place. No one ever go. I'm not sorry. Fuck you, Alabama. That place sucks. And like, this this book saved my soul. If you're listening from Alabama, um, please you're, at us. No, not, you, no. If, if you're listening from Alabama, Alabama, your state is the state equivalent of a Dementor. Fuck you. Um, wow, there's a lot of layers of meaning to that. If you're <laughs> listening from Alabama, send us your favorite thing about the state of Alabama in the mail. Um, do we have an address we can get that shipped to? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, DM us on Instagram. Uh, Tell us, we will post a story with everyone's favorite things about Alabama if you send us a favorite thing about yeah, Alabama. Um, <laughs> Wait, what's a good hashtag for that? Hashtag Harry Bama. Hashtag <laughs> Bama ain't that bad. No, no, no. Uh, let's say, going back to the porn comment, that's just gonna just, Harry Bama is not a good thing, people. Just no. No, I can't edit no. the porn comment. How about hashtag it's better in Bama? <laughs> okay. No. It's not, though. Guys, why don't you just add us?